Welcome back to another edition of Optics with Dr. Gabriel Salguero, where we discuss topics at the intersection of faith and Hispanicity, faith and Latinidad. And we come on the heels of a great national report from Lifeway Resources. That was our last podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to Optics with Dr. Gabe Salguero wherever you receive your podcast. But today we have yet another blessing for the church and Latino leaders across the country, our invited guests, and my dear friend, Reverend Carlos Rivera, who's a regional vice president for a bank, which is one of the largest, if not the largest lending institution for religious institutions across the country and former vice president of church extension plan. And of course, I should mention, he's happily married, has two wonderful boys, but is also an Assemblies of God ordained minister. And today, you really want to take out your pen and paper, because we're going to talk about finances and the Latino church and the Hispanic church, and we want this to be a blessing to you. So will you welcome with me, welcome with me, Reverend Carlos Rivera, vice president of one of these great banks that works with churches. Welcome, Carlos, to Optics. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, such a pleasure being in your program, uh, Dr. Salguero. I, you know, I uh, remember calling you several times from when, when I was living in Oregon, uh, Portland area, and letting you know that even though I was far away, I, uh, what a blessing it was to listen to uh, your podcast uh, whenever you, you know, uploaded uh, new, 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 uh, new content. Such a blessing to uh, listen to it, and now even a bigger blessing to be able to be on it. So thank you. Well, the honor is ours to have you. And why don't we start right away? Because the topic today is finances in the Latino church or the Hispanic church. I'm sure these rules apply to other ethnic communities and the churches writ large and other institutions writ large. But as you know, optics is focused on Hispanicity and the Hispanic church. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. It's an interesting uh, resume you have. You're an ordained minister and a banker. Tell us about that journey. Well, I think uh, it, 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 it was birth. Uh, my wife and I church planted at an early age. I was uh, just at a Bible college um, in the Midwest, and uh, we, we planted a church, and I made a lot of mistakes in that planting. And through the pain of, of uh, the, the what not to do's that came out of that first experience church planting, um, I walked away from that, from that experience uh, with mixed uh, emotions, hmm. uh, having learned a lot in the, you know, through the school of life, but also um, having learned what not to do and, and having uh, to deal with the guilt of, man, I wish I had I known then what I know now would have done this a lot differently. And an area uh, that I would have done things differently was in the area of finance. It's an area that was lacking in me personally. And so it trans, it, 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 uh, it really affected the church as well. Um, and so I decided to educate myself in that, go back to school. Um, long story short, was able to earn my uh, MBA in, in uh, not just in finance, but also in, in uh, uh, management of nonprofits. And that allowed me to, uh, uh, to not just be better at what I do now, um, uh, but really have more uh, empathy towards churches that are going through, especially within the Latino church, um, that in many ways is so under um, resourced. Um, and so my part of my passion and vision is to be able to help pastors that have been in the situation that I was in, 
um, be able to not make the same mistakes I've made, hopefully. But look, I appreciate that you're sharing. Sometimes we learn more from our pain than from our successes. And I appreciate your transparency in that. And I'd love to know, I'd love to know, you know, that first experience is, because here's the thing, Carlos, here's the thing. When we went to seminary or Bible college, there usually weren't courses on church administration or budgeting or bookkeeping or financing or fundraising. You know, yeah. I, I went to seminary. I got an MDiv. I did doctoral work. I, you know, I, I did my PhD work. At, and there weren't a lot of classes on that. And in Bible colleges, usually we get good courses, Bible, theology, hermeneutics, homiletics, how to teach, how to preach. But the truth is that the modern pastor, whoever she or he is, has to deal with a small nonprofit or sometimes large nonprofit of millions of dollars. And we have to get that resourcing or that information elsewhere. You got an MBA. So it's true what you say, especially in the Hispanic church. But I know across the board, not a lot of churches or pastors or leaders or even boards feel ready to tackle the complexity of financing, of budgeting, of fundraising, of facilities management, of project management. And so what were, were a few things that you learned early on that you said, okay, I got to get these abilities in, your, in, in, that, in that first church planting experience? Really, I, it's so true. Everything you said, and I, you know, I, I, I always uh, welcome opportunities. I've had it at several universities where I've been invited to a senior seminar class where I, I teach on the, these are future pastors about to go into the, to the mission field, right into some seminary, but some right to pastoring. Uh, and I teach uh, 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 a, a class basically on, on church finances and budgeting and all that. The first thing that I always, uh, you know, in answer to your question, the first thing that I would encourage pastors and I, I encourage young leaders to do as they're um, looking at the financial picture of their church is to uh, ask yourself what percentage of the operational budget uh, is covered through recurring and predictable sources of income, such as tithe uh, offerings, right? Um, facility rentals, such as... Uh, if a church uh, leases their building to another church, that happens a lot, especially during COVID. Some churches closed down, unfortunately. Others were forced to uh, you know, rent from other churches at a different time of the day. And so there's income that's coming in in some cases, but also lease of the building. Maybe they're leasing it to a school or leasing it to, um, you know, for a wedding or things like that. And, and during the year, those are sources of income that come into the church. So first question is to ask, you know, where is the income coming from to cover the operational costs of the church? And what percentage of that is used? That's very insightful, Carlos. You're talking about recurring income or steady income. Obviously, I, I've been a pastor for some time. I, I'm I'm almost 50. I know, I know we've talked about our age and we 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 try to keep that a secret, but I'm 49. You and I are contemporaries in that in that way. And a lot of times. People forget that in the church, there's ebbs and flows. For example, if you're if you're a pastor of a church, you know that summers are and and Christmas and end of the year and summers are difficult uh, in terms of giving ebbs and flows. So most people talk about tides and offerings, or or sometimes if they have larger spaces, leasing or, or rentals. Are there other ways or other best practices for you to know? Okay, 
in Spanish. Yo cuento con esto. You know, this is what I count on over a 12-month span. Uh, are there other uh, possible incomes? I heard a lecture the other day on creating alternative incomes, uh, given the new realities of, of the economy, inflation, possible recession. Of course, COVID had a, a devastating impact on so many churches, mm -hmm. although I also heard that giving went up for some people because of online giving and stuff. So it's a mixed bag. Are there other ways that they can get a, a grasp? How do you get a grasp of what you depend on and, and, and the kind of ebbs and flows of your budget? Yeah, well, you know, de depending on the generosity of the people um, in teaching at least once a year, I recommend at least twice a year, but definitely once a year, uh, not just people to give and, and browbeat them to, to give, that's not an effective way of doing it, uh, as we all know, but really teaching them the spirit of generosity, right, in, in giving, because the church does depend a lot on that, but I agree with you, other sources of income is important for us to be able to look at as leaders, right? And that's the uh, difficulty of pastoring sometimes is that you're not just, you know, especially in, in small church settings, you're both the chief financial officer, you're the pastor, uh, you know, you're the person that put, you know, comes up with a budget, uh, church plants, especially when you're church planting, like my wife and I did, and I know you have church planted as well. In the beginning, you're counting with a lot of new converts. So they're not, they're, their experience with church and background with church, uh, it's non-existent. So you, you, unless you have a strong team, which we didn't uh, when we started the church, we just kind of went out and, uh, and started preaching and teaching and winning people for the Lord. As these people were coming in, uh, first uh, generation, you know, uh, salvations, meaning that they had no church uh, background, perhaps some a nominal church background, but not a commitment to Christ as we know it, um, you know, you become a person that wears multiple hats. And so uh, because of that, um, uh, you know, it becomes difficult to manage the financial aspect of it and preparation of sermons for Sunday, teaching during the midweek, it becomes overwhelming sometimes. Um, but the, the gener depending on generosity, especially on smaller churches, um, Unless they have, uh, you know, I know that some churches in the Northeast, especially, have been around for a long time. They may be church, small churches, but they are rich in regard to, uh, uh, you know, property or resources that they have. And so uh, I've known several churches that they they have a, uh, apartment buildings that they lease out and they, they receive income from that. That's also a great way of doing that. However, that, that also comes with its challenges, right? Because that's considered, the government considers that unrelated business uh, income, UBI, and you have to report it separately and differently and make sure that somebody's managing that property so that taxes are being paid on, on that property, uh, unlike uh, a building that you may own, right? You, you own a, a house and that house, as some churches use it, is used for as a missionary home where missionaries are a home on furlough are able to stay there for a week or two or three months while they uh, raise money again, then if you're using it for those purposes, then you don't have to report that income. But if you're using that house as a rental income to and generating income from it, you do have to uh, pay taxes in the house. It's a little bit complicated. You should be, you should have a CPA or someone that manages that for you. Because you could get in, in big trouble really quick if you don't. Well, that's look, that's insightful because let's talk about 
uh, I'm a, the average Hispanic church, according to LifeWay, is 115 attendants. That's the average uh, church. Obviously, there's large churches, what are called mega churches, 5,000, 10,000. There's mid-sized churches of 1,000 to 500. But the average church, uh, Latino church, is 115 uh, post-COVID, which, by the way, is larger than the Anglo counterpart in America. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not... It's not uh, um, as anemic as some people might have projected. And for that, I'm thankful. But let's say, look, I want to get my financials in order. I'm looking at income. I, I want to do, I want to create a budget with my, with our church board or with our, with our finance committee. What, what is, what are you looking at in a, in a PNL profit and loss? Uh, what are you looking at in these financial reports as a church grows as a sign of health? I think two questions, Carlos, which is, if I'm a new pastor and I want to start a budget, what are the things you think you, the bank wants to see the first, you know, one, two, three years in the PNL? And then the second thing is, how do we grow that? And so, talk to me about creating a budget. You know, there yeah. are churches that don't have a budget. I, I've I've been to many churches; they don't have a budget. They just whatever comes in, they and whatever goes out, it's kind of a they they manage it like a personal bank, you know, like yeah. your checking account. Yeah. which is, I understand from speaking to you yeah. behind the camera, a big no-no. Don't manage it like your personal account. No. So what are you looking for as a banker, as a sign of healthy budgeting for a church, whatever the size? Yeah, we're looking at how they're managing what they have. It, it, and uh, I, always, I often tell pastors that uh, putting together a budget is one of the most spiritual things that you can do. Because a budget puts action to the vision the Lord has given you, and it flows or it channels uh, resources to the area that are, the areas of ministry that are the Lord has called you to do that are important to you. And if you don't make it a priority, it will not be become a priority. It will be uh, an after uh, an afterthought. So we, we, we typically like to see about 30 to no more than 30 percent of whatever the money that's coming in is being used for the mortgage or for the rental or for the rental property. So let's say you're a brand new church plant um, and, you know, church plants are, are a different animal. They're very difficult. So I, let's not use that example because they, it's, it's just so different. Right, because the, usually early years, it's heavy towards administration and building in like the first yeah. three to five years. But let's say an established church over five years old, what, 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 what does a, picture of health from the banking financing institutions look like? Yeah, we, we like to see between 30 to no more than 35% of the uh, tithing offerings, not special offerings, but just tithe and general offerings uh, to be used towards the mortgage. Also, we'd like to see, for example, let, let's look at your entire income for the year. Let's say your church brings in uh, $100,000. We're using small numbers because we're, we're dealing with a church of 100 150, right? So let's say $100,000 comes in. That's an easy number. Um, then typically a church that brings in 100000 in uh, tithing offerings would be able to qualify for about three times the amount they bring in on, on, for a mortgage. So if they're, if they're bringing in $100,000 uh, in tithing offerings, that means that we could probably without looking at all the other details, right? But just, just off the top, 
you could you could look at the potential of them uh, getting into a three hundred thousand uh, dollar mortgage, like a property where they would be buying, or thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, that thirty to thirty five thousand that would go into the mortgage or rental of that property. So that's that's one in regard to uh, classification of of building and and property, right? What about uh, salaries? Uh, yeah. Usually, the smaller church usually has one employee, maybe two. Uh, yeah. Larger churches are usually, uh, you know, multi-pastor, multi-layer. They have custodians and stuff. What are you looking at in terms of? I'm creating a budget. Thirty um, percent is going towards either rental or mortgage or, or some kind of facility expense. What are yeah. you looking at in terms of employee? You're talking about salaries, benefits, and things like that. Is there a percentage? Is there yeah. a, a best practice, a number that you usually see? Yeah, best practice, again, between 25 to 35% also going into uh, administration. Uh, now, that number could be less or more uh, in a larger church where the budget is a lot larger, it may be the same or a little bit less, depending, right? Because a larger church means you have a youth pastor, a children's pastor. You have a lot more expenses. Um, although my experience has been, I don't know if this has been your experience, uh, Dr. Salguero, but it's, my, it's been my experience that uh, having, both, having worked both on staff at a large Anglo church and uh, been familiar with larger uh, Spanish churches, that typically the income that comes in in some of these larger churches, they say they're about the same, about a thousand members at each. Uh, I've seen Spanish churches that even at eight, 800 or a thousand members in that church, they only have one or two staff members. That's it, right. uh, which is really uh, interesting. And then I, I've been on staff at a church of five to 700 that had multiple staff members, uh, you know, just cutting off the top of my head, at least five on staff at a church of five to 700, yet a, church, a Spanish church, Latino church of 800 to 1,000, uh, maybe one or two, well, at least one, maybe two employees on staff. Well, that, that's it, fascinating, Carlos, because that speaks about what is the median income of the of the fellowship, right? Of the people who attend, the attendees, the congregants. That right. impacts the budget, right? Because you could have 500 and 500, but is it the same median income that, that I mean, oh, so the not, budget, yeah. yeah, right. And so you're, you're dealing and sometimes Latino churches intentionally with a missional mindset go to the most economically disadvantaged uh, portions of their city or their town or whatever. So that's very fascinating. In addition to that, there was a research by, I think the Send Institute on, on church health and church planting that says Latino churches do more with less. Now, this is yeah. not my personal bias. This is an actual yeah. research that the SEND Institute uh, had, as well as LifeWay points to that. And so that's a very interesting look at stewardship. So let's talk about that, right? Because you said that the budget is a, is a spiritual uh, exercise. The budgeting is a spiritual exercise. We sure. in our tradition call it stewardship, the stewardship, right? Jesus taught us where your treasure is, there yeah, your heart it. is also. So if yeah. you say, for example, if I say, okay, man, mini, children's ministry is, is very important to me, then the line of the budget should reflect that level of priority. It's if so I say true. in my church, uh, missions is important, missions is a priority, 
Okay, then let's look at the budget. Does the budget reflect that speech that missions is a priority? What part of the budget goes to missions? What part of the budget goes to ministry programs? Especially when you're a smaller church, and I'd love to hear this, because if you are building, right, and you, you need to pay one staff person, you need to pay rental, a certain portion of the budget has to go to ministry, ministry programming, ministry needs, uh, financing ministry, mission. That That's where I'd like to... Uh, ask you and what have you seen as best practices for fundraising? Henry Nouwen wrote, wrote a book about the spirituality of fundraising or fundraising as a spiritual discipline. What have you seen? You know, you go in, I'm sure you've consulted and you've helped a lot of people and they say, listen, I want to buy, I want to buy a new building because I want to have a children's church. I want to have a education wing. I, what, whatever God has put in that pastor and leadership team's heart. Have they, have you seen what the best practices are for fundraising or how you can help churches fundraise, not just for the purpose of having money, which we get a lot of bad rap about. It's just about the money. No, no. For the purpose of mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen best practices that a lot of churches are moving away from these. What we used to call back in the 90s and early 2000s, capital campaigns. Um, and they're moving more into, uh, because capital campaigns were, was more, you hire an outside a firm that comes in and that person is an expert in raising money and they're able to, uh, you know, uh, for like a better word, just uh, <laughs> whip up the conversation, uh, you know, whip up the, 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 the uh, congregation. Into, yeah, into they, know, they know all the best practices for fundraising, right? right, right. For capital, for capital and campaign. Capital campaign. And then within uh, two, typically two to three years, let's say the two or three million dollars are pledged in, usually. Uh, a large percentage of that comes in within the first year, year and a half. Um, but it's about a two to three year, typically that's what it was. And then once it was done, hey, we built our building, we're done and we're back to normal. The, the new best practice that I've seen out there in many, many churches is more a move to a more sustainable, uh, I think a more biblical um, a, uh, model, which is a spirit of generosity among the people, understanding that why we give, what we give, and where it's going to. So I, I, I've seen it in that uh, the best practices being that the church is good at reporting, first of all, telling the con congregation what, uh, being clear what, what, about what it, is, what it is that they're raising money for, right? And then keeping the members, uh, uh, accountability with the members by printing it, by putting it online. This is how much we've raised from the budget on a monthly or quarterly basis, however they decide to do it, um, so that the congregation is encouraged to see uh, their money coming in and the commitments coming in. And then the last part of that is important, uh, equally as important or as important is, did we do what we said we were gonna do with that money? Uh, and so that the, you know, whether it's a, a new children's wing or uh, a youth uh, a wing, whatever it is that, that the money was being raised for is actually uh, done. but a spirit of generosity or a generosity campaign is more about um, a continuous uh, spirit of giving that is not just um, we give our tithe and, and, and maybe set aside uh, whenever we are able to or whenever we feel like it to give in, uh, offerings, but that it becomes a lifestyle of giving um, and we, we write it into our own personal budgets. Um, and so that's something that's really taught, but it has to be really caught by the members. 
that they see that as important in their life. They want to be generous. They want to give back uh, as freely as they receive. Freely, they want to be able to give so that others can be blessed by, uh, by their giving. That's important because you're talking about creating a culture of generosity. Culture, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that that people see it as a natural part of, of their discipleship. So it's interesting that you're talking about financing and stewardship as part of our discipleship. You said earlier in our program that, uh, you know, you should teach once or twice uh, a year, at least once you said, uh, about what it means to be a generous person. Because the truth is, it's really not about the money. It's, like I think, the posture of the heart to say, hey, look, we want to be generous uh, in missions and in, in helping families and in, in, in helping the church be salt and light uh, wherever it is. And so creating a culture of generosity beyond, like, let's say, a one-off campaign, which, yeah. you know, and, and people have to do that sometimes. There's a special need or whatever. But it's not the same because the word you said, I love that word, and, and I hope everyone here at, at Optics is, is embracing it. It, it, it's talking about sustainability rather than just doing this one time every 10 years or something that, that the church is sustainable long-term uh, and, and that the mission and the vision of the church is sustainable. Well, you're here on your program Optics with Dr. Gabe Salguero and our special guest, Reverend Carlos Rivera. He's a banker, a financier. He works with uh, faith institutions. He's, I'm sure, given many loans uh, as a regional vice president and as a former vice president of Church Extension Plan. And we're talking about, you know, financial literacy and stewardship and how, what are the best practices in terms of budgeting, in terms of creating a culture of generosity. And here at Optics, we're so thankful that uh, Reverend Rivera is with us. And we're going to ask you if this has blessed you to share it with people and to tell people subscribe that Optics is here to bless at the intersection between faith and Hispanicity, faith and the Latino church. And so keep listening as, as we continue to uh, delve deeper in and, and excavate the secrets of this. Listen, I want to move in another direction, if you'll allow me, Carlos, which is first purchases. Mm -hmm. You know, first building or first wing or, you know, their first big buy. And, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a pastor with, with my elder board and my finance team. And we come to your table, you know, with our papers shaking and, and, and uh, hopefully not shaking with faith and authority. But uh, some people come shaking because they don't know this world. It's, it's, it's foreign yeah. to them. Um, what is it that you're looking for when they come to apply uh, for a loan, um, and I'm sure there's many types of loans, right? You can talk about, you know, building loans and small loans and, and all that. And I know you, your, your personal profile is large loans for uh, several million dollars, but I'm sure in your previous job, you've worked in different types of loans. Sure. What yeah. should the, what should that church board, elders, uh, finance team and, and pastor uh, bring, and what should they be prepared to answer? Sure. Great question, uh, Pastor. The first thing a bank will ask for would be the, the three years, minimum three years financials. So, for example, we're in 2023 now. We're almost, you know, going into month of February. So we're halfway through the first quarter, almost, right? Um, and so we would ask for financials for 2020, 2021, 2022. Those are three full years plus whatever you have for January and February so far of this year, we would want to see that. We would also want to see year over year for the month of December, how you ended, and that's what we asked for the three years, 
how did you do December of 22, uh, 21 compared to December of 22? Were you up in income? Did we see a dip? Now, most churches experienced uh, loss or a dip during COVID because uh, some were locked down longer than others. And for that reason, um, uh, and that's an interesting uh, 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 nuance there, Pastor, because a lot of our Latino churches, I noticed, now not exclusively Latino churches, but you know, I saw this a lot on both sides. Let me just put it this way. Any church that pre-COVID um, collected their offering the same way we've done it for the last, you know, so many X amount of years, right? Through check writing and, and cash and, and passing of the- in, Yeah, uh, the uh, in-person collection. In-person person collection. Boy, <laughs> one of the funniest stories I remember hearing right, you know, you're talking about April, May of, of 2020, right in the beginning of COVID, is having elders and, 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 and uh, board members from some churches up north literally going door to door and the members leaving the, you know, because we we're all wearing masks right, and, 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 and quarantine. <laughs> they would leave their offerings out in the porch. And so the pastor sent out all the board members and elders of the church to collect the offering. Actually, that's more common house. than you would think, Reverend Rivera. <laughs> Carlos, that's more common than you would think because the elders had this deep commitment to the church and they would call the church and say, listen, I have, I've been saving up my tithes and offerings for two months and yeah. no one's collected it. Can you, it wasn't that the church called them and said, give, it was them that I, I saw it. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the president of Nalik and many pastors yeah. would tell me they're calling me to send someone to pick yeah. it up. But these were people uh, who are obviously a part of the digital divide. We could talk about, you know, right, right. generational digital divide. Some generations are more comfortable giving in person through check, uh, cash. Other generations are very ingrained on the kind of whatever tithely or whatever app uh, they can give. And so we saw that. But it, it is now that you mentioned that, I can remember several pastors telling me, oh, hoy es el día de recorrer. <laughs> you know, it was the run. It was the offering run. Yeah. Uh, and 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 in fairness to them, man, that they were still faithful in a pandemic. It was, uh, hey, man. It was something to see. It was I, I thought the same thing, Pastor. Yeah, it was something I to see. Was, I just thought it was funny, you know. You know, me too, because, almost, you, and the risk, the risk, right? If you leave money out and stuff, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it caused for, it, it, it created uh, creativity. You had to plan it. What time am I going to be there? It was, it was an, a whole logistical operation. But uh, how did that affect giving in general? Well, you know, the churches that were set up with, you know, cashless digital giving did not see a dip. In fact, it saw an increase. But the churches that relied on, you know, in-person giving did see a dip, even though people, uh, you know, did these runs where they would go and pick up the offering and all that. Um, it, the, the comparison uh, is day and night, you know. And so that, that really shows us the importance of not only having a digital platform that you're able to preach and teach, God forbid, if something like this were to happen again, uh, we need to be better prepared, right, as a church, because, um, you know, it could happen again. Something like this could happen again. And so uh, being able to preach and teach the word uh, through, you know, uh, uh, digital media, digital platforms like this one, it, 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 it's not... Uh, a thing of luxury is a thing of necessity to be able to for a church to survive and to exist 
If they don't have a digital footprint, they do not exist, especially if they're reaching out to the newer generation. And so along with the digital platforms also comes the importance of having a way for people to give digitally. How many times do I go? I was just, uh, I was with you uh, not long ago. Uh, you were getting this wonderful award by Oikos, right? USA. And uh, I, I wanted to give the young man a tip so bad, you know, for getting me the car. And, and uh, I didn't have cash on me. I had to go out and literally out of my way to uh, go to ATM, get the money out. And, and um, it, it just creates uh, a situation where I've gone to restaurants, really nice restaurants, where the, uh, the guy, the valet guy uh, has cash out. So he says, yeah, you can cash. Here's my, here's my uh, a code. I, I scan it. And within seconds, the guy has a, a tip for picking up the vehicle, you know? And so the same thing is not that people don't want to give is that we, we've made it difficult in many cases uh, for them to give. And uh, there was a study done, I forget now by, by who, I, I, I was reading uh, in a preparation for our meeting uh, today, uh, that in, 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 in many cases, um, churches that switched to online platforms for giving saw an increase of over 30% in their tithe and offerings to the church donations. So really, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a lesson in, in being good stewards. It's not just managing what you have, but providing... Um, understanding the times and providing uh, opportunity for people who want to be generous, who want to give, to be able to give. Um, and that's really one of those that's really important. So, um, and so you're removing barriers, right? Yeah. What you're trying to do is remove the obstacles so people can have the greatest yeah. flexibility on how to give. Yeah. And so I'm coming to you, you're looking at year to year, you, you yeah. see that COVID year was different than another year. Yeah. I'm sure the banking institutions are making some kind of algorithm or calculation about that. And so you're looking for three years plus the current year. What else are you looking for from uh, from us as we come for a loan for a building or or, or whatever we're, we're seeking to? We, we, want to we, we want to be able to know, could they afford this building? So we would look at those financials. We never want to put a church in a situation uh, where they can't make, meet their responsibility or mortgage. We, don't, I, we never want to do that. That's not, those are not fun calls to, to, to make, mm. you know, when, uh, when you have to call a, a pastor of a church and, 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 and almost, you know, become a collector. We, we, we don't like that at all. So we, we, in the, in the front end, if, you know, it's funny because at times people who, um, you know, mainly pastors or leaders and say, well, look, uh, you know, I know this is more than what we could afford, but it has great equity. So if you ever have to come back and get it, you'll have great equity in the building. If we have to start a conversation about a loan with that, you, it has great equity in case you have to repossess. That's not a, that's not a good a winning argument, you know, because we don't want to repossess. Uh, it, we don't want to take over a building. First of all, church buildings are very difficult to, to resell, but excuse me, resell because of the nature, uh, you know, who's going to want a three, 400 seat auditorium. Uh, in many cases that looks like a church feels like a church. You can't, converted easily into an office building is, is, is awkward in that. So it's difficult to sell. Um, and then when you do sell it, uh, you're selling it at a loss for the most part. So um, we definitely want to make sure that the church is able to afford the building. We understand things like 2020 happened, COVID. Um, and those are, um, you know, that's not the norm. But we want to make sure that the church is able to afford the loan. And so we want to be able to see that the church has been able to set aside money in savings because it shows discipline in, in, in not just spending everything that comes in, but they're able to, to, to be disciplined enough to say, I have a goal in mind uh, long-term to, to be able to purchase a building or, 
or, or construct a building. And so we're going to set aside money for that. It shows good stewardship, right? It shows the disciplines needed that they will need once they become a, 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 a church owner, building owner. Because as you know, uh, now, you know, being, uh, you know, having been in your building, there's, yeah. you know, insurance costs, Lights. And upkeep, and yeah. oh my goodness. Custodial, yeah, yeah, and hygiene. I mean, so, so you're looking at three years plus the current year. You're looking uh -huh. at the the price of the facility or, or thing being purchased. Right. Uh, you're looking at the uh, and, and I'm sorry, Pastor. The yeah. way we figure that out is again, we look at what you bring in on a yearly total, uh, not including special offerings. So if you have a uh, offerings for like a pro templo, as, as a lot of our Latino churches have, we don't count that because we consider that as uh, again almost like a capital campaign. This money comes in, but at some point it's, it ceases. And so you, you can't count on that money. Typically what I tell people, that's something that's coming in on a, on a, on a monthly or weekly basis, then count it as your regular offering um, because you see it as a regular offering and it's dedicated specifically for the building or the, or the purchase of the building so that we're able to count that as general offering. So, so again, going back again to our, our, our number of 100,000, if the church it's bringing in 100,000 in tithing offerings uh, yearly, then we would look at them being able to afford something that three, maybe three and change, no more than 350. Um, if they're bringing money to, to the table, then of course they could you know, put that as down payment and afford a bigger building. But the uh, loan to value on that property also has to be between 60 to 75%. So we don't want you to be paying more for the building than the building's worth as well. So that, that rule of 60 to 75 percent, you determine it through through having appraisals, through yes, uh, and 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 usually in a purchase, I, I imagine the purchaser is paying the appraisal. So they have to think about that going in, right? They have to say, hey, look, that as part of my cost may be an appraisal of a facility or, or a future facility. Well, we're here on your program, Optics, in the intersection between faith and the Hispanicity and Latinidad in Latino church. And our guest today is banker and financier and pastor, Reverend Carlos Rivera, who's been working with the church across the United States and the Latino church in particular, also on issues of banking, financing, purchasing new buildings, and, and has actually consulted with some churches on getting them on the right track. Speaking of that, uh, Carlos, what are some of the pitfalls you've seen? That, that what do you? Because look, I, I've seen some things. I'm sure you're a banker. I'm just a pastor, but I work with pastors. Our coalition works with pastors. I, I've seen people that don't have budgets, and, no. and then don't have a financial report because because of the uh, the tax system. The IR obviously we're five hundred one c threes. We don't have to. Uh, we're tax exempt. Um, right there. If you yeah, own right. another business that's different, um, uh, we don't have to. Churches don't have to give 990s. Um, <laughs> we do have to give 1099s to people who, and we do have to give W2s to people Correct. who work. But what's some of the things that you that when a person comes to you, you 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 say to them, man, I would have wish I would have known you earlier. You you could have avoided this headache. What are, what are some of the things you want to tell our our listening audience, boards, executive committees, finance committees, or just the layperson? Hey, you wanna uh, you wanna avoid this, or, or I've seen this sometimes that could get you a headache. I I, I would tell pastors and board members often 
do not fall in love with the building. Because when you fall in love with a building, then you're making an emotional decision. And you cannot, as good stewards of the Lord's resources that he's put to the church or given the church, you have to look at it really as a business transaction. You cannot look at it as an emotional one. Whenever you get your emotions involved, you, that's when the problems start. Because you end up buying more than what you need uh, for more than what it's worth because, oh, it's so pretty, or it's in the right location, and I can see us worshiping here. Um, and also to have faith, believing that God will provide the, the exactly the right building that the church needs for. Uh, the Lord knows that churches needs more than we, we as pastors know, and really it's reliance on him, saying, God, um, I'm, I'm trusting you to lead us to the right building and at the right price. I often tell people, when you look at a building and you're looking at buying it, Make an offer that will embarrass you. You know, never pay what they're asking for. Um, now, I'm not saying to be rude or be uh, intentionally uh, provocative, but, uh, you know, if you're looking at a building, a church building, um, the, the, the fact is that for the most part, you're on the driver's seat because that, uh, that, that the people who are looking at selling that building are looking to unload that building. It's not like you have 15, 20 offers on that one church building. If they get an offer once or twice a year, it's a big deal. So you're on the driver's seat. So you're able to say, look, uh, uh, I'm going to do my due diligence. The building looks great. I'm not going to get attached to it. I'm going to have uh, somebody come in and do an inspection of the building, make sure that if I buy the building for 600000 that I don't have, you know, three, $400,000 worth of uh, upkeep on the building, especially if this church has been sitting there for a while. You know, and also you have to set money aside for other things, uh, you know, that uh, that at times you don't think about, like uh, um, we call them FFNEs, right? Furniture, uh, fixtures and equipment. You have to set aside money for audio and visual uh, sound equipment, uh, you know, visual, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, LED walls uh, in some of these churches that we deal with, or if it's a... Uh, a regular, uh, you know, we used to use the, uh, the, 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 the slide projector with the, uh, <laughs> back in the day, that's not used anymore. That's not very expensive. But you know what I'm saying is yeah, you have to, yeah, you have to yeah, put all the expenses in. Some people don't think about that. Chairs, you know, you need yeah, 200 chairs. chairs. Yeah. That's, a, that's an investment. Uh, exactly. uh, you know, bocinas, as the, as the Latinos say, you know, <laughs> the loudspeakers, the, the speakers, you know, uh, uh, the 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 cables you know the the system that runs the system the 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 sound equipment i mean it's it it adds up quickly if you have a children's room a desk for children and 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 chalkboards or whiteboards or or or, or smart screens you know these yeah. things these things add up. i love that you said don't fall in love with the building right the early church didn't have buildings and they no. grew rapidly i think sometimes we make idols of yeah. facilities and, and idolatry is a sin idolatry is a sin and so i think that that one of the things we need to that's a good good advice from a banker he spoke to us let, let, let me ask this other thing about as, as we're almost coming to a close let me ask about okay you're not doing a purchase but you want to you want the church to be healthy you said early on and i and i was i was so glad to hear it you know transparency 
breeds trust, you know. Yes. Annual reports. Um, you said print them up. We just did our annual meeting. We just did it. Uh, we usually do it in January of every year. And we just did it uh, last month. And we said, okay, here's what came in. Here's what we used it for. That percentage went to administration. This, you know, the kind of transparency breeds uh, trust, but it also breeds generosity. It right? does. And so most people do that once a year, either at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year when they're doing their vision casting and things like that, December or January, depending on when they do it. I think that that's important. But I think how do you how do you create a culture where where there's people that are not used to doing budgets or used to reporting? How do you help a pastor? their standalone pastor he or she they're the only pastor they have a church of 100 people are there apps are there are there are there tools you know i i, I some people use quickbooks some use what is what can we you tell pastors you know that's user friendly to get them started because they don't have a cpa they don't have an auditing firm they don't have you on speed dial like i do i'm like hey uh, help yeah. me with this <laughs> but you know how do we are there tools that can help that church that's starting or has never done it but has been established but never done it how do we get them on that track mm -hmm. you know that's a great question and and i would say pastor and i i know you know this to be true uh i believe that the lord will give the church the people it needs to be able to help the church be successful. So in other words, in your congregation, there will be people that God will put that love budgets and financials. And it's, it's especially in a, in, a, in a smaller church, right? Where you can't go out and hire, because it's very, it can be very expensive in many, in many cases to hire a CPA, although you should put it in your budget uh, to have your, your, your annuals uh, done by an outside firm that's able to give a sense of um, uh, accountability to the congregation. Look, our, our financials were done by a CPA and, and they, uh, they did a, a review. You don't even have to do an audit. You know, there's different types of, of uh, there's three levels in a, in a, that a CPA does uh, for numbers. The easiest one, I, I believe, is called a review, where it's not as expensive as a, as a full audit, right? So I think if you're a church of 100, 150, you don't need a full audit financials, but at least have a CPA review your financials and give their se uh, seal of approval or, you know, tell you, hey, you know, might want to watch it here or there and give some good feedback. But within the congregation, even in a small congregation, I know that even in our congregation, when we were church planting, the Lord had people that were really good with money in the church. Now, they didn't have a degree, they didn't have an MBA, but they were just naturally gifted in that area. And so I quickly found out who those people were. And I said, man, I need your help because the pastor shouldn't be counting <laughs> the offering in the back of the pew right after church. <laughs> I mean, I've seen that Talk happen, about conflict of interest. I mean, talk <laughs> yeah, about the, the appearance of twice. evil. Yeah, not good. You should be as, as a one. pastor far as far away from the counting as possible. Exactly. Yeah, if that just puts you in a... <laughs> Terrible light. You heard it here on Optics. Pastor, don't be the one counting the money. <laughs> That's a don't do idea. it. Don't do it, man. Don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it could get you in so much trouble, right? And that's why you have to put safeguards, two people counting, you know, all, all those kind of best practices that for you and for others may seem automatic, but 
People have never done it. You know, they're, they're just, hey, God called me. I feel called. They, they're, they're gifted speakers or disciplers or, 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 or leadership developers, but in the area of administration and finance. And I like that advice. Find people. God will bring the, the men and women who are able to it. Let, let me ask this last question. And you have been a gift, Carlos. I want to thank you. It's been for a blessing the, being here. The gift of your time. I know it's going to bless our churches and our leaders and, and our parachurch organizations. Here's the tension a lot of pastors have between faith and budgeting, right? So a pastor, uh, whoever he or she is, you know, has faith for something, right? And then, and then the 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 bookkeeper or the or the church treasurer says, "Oh, but here are the numbers, right?" I, I, I'm telling you, I could see that I've seen this conversation a hundred times where the pastor says, "You don't have faith," and the and the and the accountant's like, "No, uh, pastor, I, I have faith, but no, right?" And so. As a pastor, I want to encourage the people who keep the books and who, who are part of the church to believe God for faith. How do you, because you've straddled both, right? Between yeah. the kind of pushing people for, for, for faith, to trusting God, stretching people, but at the same time being a good steward. It's a dance, right? And so how would you navigate that conversation between a pastor and his, his or her finance committee saying, hey, we're, you know, for next year, we're right, because you do the annual budget, right, proposed budget versus actual budget. And you're saying, you know what, let's do the proposed budget, you know, 15% more than we did last year. And and the finance committee is looking at you like you have three heads and like, okay, right. pastor did not eat this morning, he didn't have his <laughs> cup of coffee, or she didn't have her cup of coffee. Oh, how do you have, how do you navigate too much coffee? <laughs> or too much coffee? Yeah. How do you navigate that? What do you tell pastors and 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 finance teams and boards? How, how do you? Um, yeah. Counsel that's them? a great. That's a great um, question because it happens all the time. The first thing I would say about that pastor, uh, uh, Dr. Saguero, is that welcome that tension. It's that's a good tension to have. Because it's accountability, right? Um, I, you know what? I I I started uh, today's uh, talk talking about my my failures in the beginning. I didn't get into details. Uh, maybe at a, at a at another date or something. You know, I could talk about my testimony more in depth. But I remember um, that you know most pastors, you know, we're visionaries at heart, right? We we see the big picture the Lord gives us. Um, but then the Lord also puts people around us to help mold that vision and to help us not get ahead of our skis, as, as the saying goes. And oftentimes, uh, although I had people, like I said, uh, from the congregation who were not professionals in the area of financials, they were not CPAs or MBAs, but they were excellent in their own personal financials. Uh, they, they knew how to manage money well. You could see it. And so I would bring that person on and ask him to serve that would get uh you know the 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 uh and so that person would serve oftentimes that person would become um and my wife could be this way too they they, they be, and, I'm, and i'm embarrassed to say but we you know we have a I, I i used to i used to accuse my wife of being the dream killer you know uh la mata sueño and uh and so you know you're, that's, she, that, that's not good for you're, marriage you're, you're still married carlos <laughs> La, like la said, mata sueño. Uh, you heard it here on optics. Uh, <laughs> names you should not call your spouse. You never, ever. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good for long-term uh, marriage. Now, I, you know, this guy, this year I celebrate 29. So I learned quickly uh, what not to do. That's what I said earlier. But 
the, the point is that uh, at times as pastors, and I, I speak from personal experience, um, I would see those roadblocks as, you know, Satan get me behind me kind of thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Rather than wise counsel, right? Rather than yeah, whereas the Lord, the Lord lovingly coming as, uh, alongside me, putting people around me to say, hey, we're going to get there. But we're going we're to believe the Lord and trust him. Just because you believe the Lord and trust him doesn't mean you inflate the budget. You really, uh, and that's a great question you asked, Pastor. Really, when you look at a budget year over year, you want to be conservative in your budgeting. If more money comes, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're, you're not believing God for more money. It's, it's, it's saying, I, I'm believing that God will, 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 will bring, will, will give us what we need. And if more money is in that budget at the end of the year, then we're able to then allocate that, those resources according to the vision and purposes that the Lord has called the church to. Uh, so typically, I tell people, when you look at, when you're working on a budget for, let's say, 2023 to 2024, I would increase, uh, I would either leave it flat or increase it between 3 to 5% from previous years. Just because you've grown 15% year over year doesn't mean necessarily that over the next few years, you're going to be continuing to grow 15%. And what that does is if you, if you do use that 15% and you get used to it, uh, it, the budget really is inflated in an, in an artificial way that could, could, could create future problems down the road because that's not a normal growth pattern. Uh, and that's, again, that's not to limit growth. It's not to limit God in any way. It's just being judicious, careful. Um, and uh, as that money comes in, you could always spend it afterwards or be able to allocate it, as I said. Right. And, and you could revisit the budget in the first exactly. quarter, right? Yeah. Right. Because a proposed budget is not the final budget. You can, can you have eyes on it all the time. And you can say, exactly. oh, we're growing. And then you can revise. I've seen revised budgets many times for not-for-profits and for banks. I mean, that's a, that's that a, all the time. It's, a yeah. it's a common practice. I, here's the other thing. The inverse is also true. You want a team of elders who embrace faith yeah. who who and I, you've said a few times and i'm glad to hear it that that it's vision and mission driven right that the budget follows the mission and the vision not yes. the vision and the mission drive the budget because if you have a vision that god has given it calls people right people are called to a vision i heard someone say about i think it was a banker say people give to to vision not need for better, for worse, that's just the giving practices of people. They give to vision and not need. And so you want a team also that's deeply prayerful, that's deeply vision-oriented, but has their feet on the ground. I like that. Embrace the tension, listen to God, but uh, and, but God has multiple ways of speaking. And, and yes. so the stewardship and the vision, it, that, that is that is a, a, a baile, a dance that we have to have. Well, you've been on your program, sisters and brothers, your program Optics. It is in the nexus and in the intersection of faith and Hispanicity and the Latino church. I'm Dr. Gabriel Salguero, asking you to continue to subscribe to Optics, where week after week and periodically we upload videos and audios that will bless the church, that will bless the Latino community, Latino not-for-profits. And today we've had the great pleasure and privilege to have Reverend Carlos Rivera, banker and financier. Carlos, are there any parting words you want to say to the Optics audience as we get ready to depart and with our deepest gratitude for spending an hour with us? You know, I would say that, um, you know, uh, budgeting and, and, and uh, 
and, and, and running the church, the, the, the church should be run as a business. I know that's not very spiritual sounding, but the, the IRS and the government sees us as a building. And if we're not wise in running uh, the Lord's uh, you know, matters uh, in, in regards to the business aspect of it, like a business, be responsible, be judicious. Of course, the spiritual side is here. And that's, what, that's why in many churches, you have a pastor that leads with a vision, but you have people that take away from the pastor, not away like he's not responsible, but but come alongside is a better word to manage the financial aspect of it so that the pastor doesn't have to worry about the day-to-day operations side of the church. The pastor is in charge of teaching and vision and, 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 and discipleship. And then you have a team that is, makes sure that the church is in compliance, right, with government because uh, uh, we don't want to be a, a, an embarrassment to the gospel by not keeping good books or not, uh, you know, uh, or, 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 or spending, uh, you know, money in ways that we shouldn't be spending it. Uh, that hurts the church long term. So I would I would say any, you know, to, to those who are listening, that creating a budget is extremely important, but also making sure that your church is up to date with your your registration, right? And in some states, depending on where you're at, you have to every year let them know, hey, we're still here. We're still doing business as a church uh, in Massachusetts, uh, in New York. You have to yearly fill out. Uh, in Florida, in Florida, you have Florida, to. Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. Register as a, as a business in Florida. Hey, I, it's called I, I can't tell you how many churches I've spoken to when they go, you know, to buy a building or buy a property or build that we have to look at, you know, are they in good standing with the state and everything? How many? have not filled out paperwork with their state for years. And it's just, it, you know, it's those kind of things that will get you and brings, you know, um, the bad name to the gospel, right? The, we should be competent in what we do. And just because we're competent doesn't mean we're not spiritual. I think they could, they both go hand in hand. Well, listen, you've heard it here in Optics. We've been talking about the church, the Hispanic church, finances, purchasing, all, uh, financial stewardship, financial help. And I want to thank you, Reverend Carlos Rivera, for your insight, your wisdom, uh, your, your pragmatics, your, your, your holistic view. And you said it. The church is both a spiritual organism and a 501c3 that has to give reports to the government. It's not either or. You can be a spiritual organism. And Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. He said it, you know, los negocios de mi padre. So you can have balance. You don't, I, I pray, I preach, I teach, you know, I, I, I baptize. There's a spiritual organism. And there's also in the state, uh, you know, the spirit, the, the, the organizational side. So thank you. I want to remind you, subscribe to Optics with Dr. Gabe Salguero in the nexus and intersection of faith and hispanicity. Until the next time, this has been Optics. Have a great day.